He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kamir Morabian. Holy crap, <laughs> Stephen Brown. We have a lot to talk about. Like, It's not just about Caleb Williams, which I, I expected, and a lot of people started to expect later down the road. It's Dylan Gabriel hours later. You've got Javante Barnes. You got a new defensive staff coming together. A whole bunch of crap just happened within the last like what 12 hours? Less than that. Less than that, like seven, like eight, seven, right? Yeah, something like seven hours. My gosh. Some really, really good and some some not so great moments. Yeah, yeah. You of course you had the morning and a lot of certain like I've been feeling sour on Caleb. You know me. I've been feeling sour on the whole Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams oh, you had this like uh, over a month ago. A long time ago. Um, and people were saying, you know, stuff like, people were saying stuff like, well, why would he show up for the bowl game? Um, and the Williams family, they are, they they have integrity. They're good people. And his dad and him and Caleb and just the way he is, it, it it was to my assumption that he would play the bowl game for them, but like do nothing to risk like bodily harm. Um, of course, in the bowl game that you saw with Matt Corral, unfortunately. And so let's let's jump into it. Caleb Williams uh, hits the transfer portal. There was rumors of it this morning. Doesn't look good. Don't know when it's gonna happen, but announcements today, right? And he hits the port. He hits the portal. Let's people know that, you know, he's just hitting the portal to talk to other staffs. He's talking to, you know, like that's what enables him to do so. Uh, but he still has OU as a guy that's, uh, he says OU is still a possible destination. And uh, uh, Theo Weiss commented on his Instagram and said that, you know, he was going to, or a comment on ESPN's Instagram and said he's going to OU. But I don't know so much. Josie and Venny. They send out this weird memo to everybody <laughs> that should have just been like an email chain to the donors. It was strange <clears> and it sounded pretty like, I don't know. It sounded lesser than a blue blood pro program should sound. Let's just say that, say it that way. And then of course the semester starts January 17th. That's less than two weeks. Uh, this time. So this timing is better for Caleb's teammates to figure out what their futures are too. So, Knee-jerk reaction. Caleb Williams sends out that long edit of him saying he's entering the transfer portal. What's your immediate reaction? Uh, I mean, it's everything we've kind of been talking about over the past couple of days. Um, you know, OU's been meeting with Caleb Williams, his family, everyone else that Caleb, Caleb Williams kind of uh, keeps close to him. And uh, when you have those kind of meetings – you know, things aren't right because you you really shouldn't have to have that, that meeting coming off a bowl win, um, going into the offseason, what's probably going to be a pretty pretty eventful offseason. And uh, 
you knew something wasn't quite right. Something wasn't clicking there. And uh, at the same time, I don't really fault Caleb Williams for this one. Um, obviously, yeah, he, you lose. He came, he came to a. He came to. He didn't come to an institution. A lot of kids these days are coming to products, right? The yeah, he didn't that will come make to OU because of just OU. Obviously, OU has more to offer as far as just a rich tradition, a very very large fan base, mm-hmm. um, NFL opportunities, that kind of stuff. But he didn't commit to OU. He committed to Lincoln Riley. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what people forget in all this. Um, so him backing out or at least wanting to take a peek at uh, life outside of OU, I can't really fault him for that because of the way the coaching carousel has gone. I agree. And, you know, I, I, I start thinking about it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. It's, it's never NIL. I mean, again, with the Williams family, with Carl Williams, Caleb Williams, with those dudes, this is definitely not in a NIL at all. Caleb Williams could go anywhere, get an awesome deal, get a lot of cash doing whatever he's doing because he's just that good. Wherever he ends up, he's going to play quarterback. Okay. He's going to, he's going to get a lot of, he's going to get a lot of minutes. He's going to get a lot, a lot of snaps. He's going to get a lot of playing time. I don't think this is ever about NIL. I mean, like some schools, can they offer more opportunities? Sure. I'm, I'm sure they are. Like for example, Los Angeles, Miami, a uh, big city, big hubs that you can really market somebody, right? This was always an NFL decision, in my opinion. In and what do you think about that? I don't think it was all all NFL. I think NIL probably had a little bit more to do it do it than uh, than people realize. Um, just kind of talking to people this week and and kind of getting their thoughts on it. OU was going into these meetings with NIL in mind. Uh, I mean, you know, that's not everything. Obviously, you wouldn't know that you're in the right system with Jeff Levy, but NIL was definitely a part of the conversation. Um, this is where it kind of gets a little bit murky as far as, you know, what was really going on in Caleb Williams' mind because mm-hmm. you can always talk about NFL. Um, obviously, every player going into college football wants to play in the NFL. That's the ultimate goal. That's why you go there. Um, but NIL is an underrated aspect of this. And I'm not sure. I think his value is a little bit inflated as far as what he thinks he can get. If that makes sense. That doesn't make that. It makes sense. I mean, could you imagine him in a, in a really big, like, you know, I know like people are going to get upset. It's Oklahoma's a blue blood. They are, but it's Norman. Could you imagine him in a big city? Like, like Miami. For example, they've mm-hmm. got pro teams there. You you've got the Heat. You've got you've got the the Dolphins that are not that great, even though they've like on a seven game win streak. Uh, and you can market him just like crazy. Uh, you like or somewhere else that's in, you know he's just so marketable. But I think a lot of this because I think I think you're right. I I don't think it's all NFL. I mean like. A lot of it, I think, to me is NFL. I think it's more NFL mm-hmm. than I, more NFL, like than you think it's NFL. If that makes sense, but I do right. think there's NIL involved there because again, it is Oklahoma. They can only offer so much. I mean, Texas is handing out fifty thousand dollars handshakes to offensive linemen. <laughs> yeah. You would never see that at OU. I mean, a Texas suite. I think Harry Murdoch said this the other day. 
a, a Texas suite costs like one point something million bucks and they just shell it out. And at Oklahoma, that's not how it is on game days, even though people would be willing to pay those things. But, you know, people have to respect Caleb Williams decision. He says he's going to keep Oklahoma in it, but that's what every nice guy says. Okay. That, that's it. That's, that's, that's that is the nice the guy door. answer. It's like, Oh, don't, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not gone, gone. I'm just going to yeah. see what's looking out there. around. Yeah. The moseying around. No, he he's gone. And, and ultimately people, <clears throat> it's his future. He, people need to respect that. Again, he came from Lincoln Riley, just like all the other quarterbacks did. And just like all the other quarterbacks, I, I was thinking about the other day, Lincoln Riley's never recruited a quarterback that graduated. They've transferred on him, which I think is that's, it, th- that's interesting. Uh, that that needs to be said, and I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, his two best, his 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 three best talent pools are guys that were transferred in and given to him. And I'm not going to say anything else because all the three, four of those guys are talented. You know, when you get Baker, you get Kyler. Kyler's the best quarterback to ever played OU. You get Baker's probably the second best quarterback to play at OU. And then you get Jalen Hurts, who is the starting quarterback of the an Eagles team right now, who has intangibles. Anyways, the next thing you know, just hours later, Dylan Gabriel has like five edits <laughs> out on Twitter. He's got a video already going down. And it's just it it's kind of like Venables as the defensive coordinator or, or Venables as the, uh, as the head coach and Levy as the offensive coordinator. Dylan Gabriel, while the Williams stuff was in the background, Dylan Gabriel's name never went away. It was always there. It always stuck around. It always came back in the circles. And so I've been talking to UCF Knights Nation about it. I've been talking about them because I I've had this thing. Hey. Classes at OU start January 17th. These decisions are going to have to happen soon. They're going to have to happen fast. And so I've been talking to them about the last few days, just in case that Gabriel would flip his commitment to OU from UCLA. And this is kind of the, these are the notes I got from these guys. They said he, he throws an excellent deep ball. He's actually, uh, he, he throws a, a better deep ball than, uh, than Milton, the guy that was there prior to them, which like is like, viewed very very highly um and he's but they also said he's kind of a bit of a brock purdy they didn't say that verbatim but they said he didn't really have that clutch i that it factor in big big games and big big moments now to his credit he played the two and a half seasons and right before that last season he broke his collarbone which was this season he broke his collarbone early on this season Um, they said he hesitates on RPO sometimes, and he's actually a very mobile quarterback. He will run the ball. Uh, Levy likes to run the ball. He's like 60. That's what I talked about in the interview after this podcast. I I also podcasted with, uh, Steve Willis, um, of Ole Miss uh, locked on, locked on Ole Miss. And, uh, that'll be after this. So you guys will get an in-depth look at Jeff Levy's offense, but, the UCF Knights said he he hesitates a little bit on RPOs. That could just be his first couple seasons there, uh, and he's become more uh, more of a vet. But it, it says they say it makes them one dimensional at times, as far as like him hesitating on an RPO. Am I going to pass the ball? Am I stuck in a situation here? Ultimately, they said it boils down to this: if the pockets are clean, he's really good. He can whip it in there. Uh, when he's scrambling or maybe avoiding pressure, 
not as good as Mackenzie Milton, but they also, again, said with the caveat, that's kind of a really unfair <laughs> comparison to make, knowing that Milton is such a good quarterback. And I think we can say that for a lot of quarterbacks, and not to mention that he's still a quarterback that's been growing. Um, I like Gabriel. I like G Dylan Gabriel a lot. I know there are people that don't like him. I like Gabriel, Gabriel a lot. He doesn't have to learn the offense. As we've seen in the bowl game, he uh, Jeff Levy is in the press box, and he can be an actual extension of Jeff Levy's offense onto the field because he already knows the offense. He doesn't have to learn the offense. That's something Caleb Williams would have had to done, and that's and it speeds up the, the learning curve of the receivers that Dylan Gabriel is going to be working with. He has a 70 to 14 pa uh, passing touchdown to interception ratio, which I think is actually, you know, I don't know, I think it's pretty good. Uh, more than a capable runner. Jocelyn Allo loves him, and that's good enough for me. What are your thoughts on Dylan Gabriel? I've talked for a lot of minutes straight now. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when you look at what's on the market right now, I don't think you can do much better than Gabriel. Um, obviously I think we both kind of heard maybe some names come out, uh, you know, maybe this week, maybe next week, something like that. But, um, just as far as fit and talent and kind of the complete package that you can compete for the big 12 in, mm -hmm. um, Gabriel's your guy there. Um, he knows the offense. Obviously I think there's one thing that people are missing is that he's going to have to learn a little bit of what Kiffin added to uh to levy's offense as far as kind of yep. like that west coast those motions um maybe a little bit more with the tight end um but he knows the route tree he knows the tempo um he kind of already knows what's going on inside levy's head so that's a big plus in that that respect and um i think uh when you look at his throwing motion, it's going to be a lot like Josh Heupel. There's some parallels there <laughs> as far as just being a, a guy that comes in and transfers in and then has to be that guy in, in the first year. And maybe he's only one year guy. So I like the pickup. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels to that, the 1999, the 2000 teams. I agree. As far as what's going on right now. I think, I think Dylan Gabriel, people are, you know, people are going to make, I mean, like people are going to make fun of him. Mask. He went on Twitter. The, the 808 uh, Baker Mayfield, yep. Marcus Mariota masks. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, he is more than a capable runner. I'm very excited what, you know, the future has out for him at Oklahoma this year. Uh, uh, what Steve said earlier about Jeff Levy is that n roughly 90% or all of their, uh, all, all of their, offensive plays the majority of them are actually rpos and so one week you might rush for 300 another week you might rush for 200 and pass for 350 it, it, it's and so that kind of offense is a kind of offense that you want a guy like gabriel that's played in it for a few years to really have already have honed and understood that way he can go up to his wide receivers he can command the offense he can make checkdowns when when necessary and so that's a really, really, really big deal for Oklahoma. My my sec my follow up question is Oklahoma. So they've got Nick Evers from Florida, uh, out of Florida, and he's Florida D commit as a freshman. You've now got Dylan Gabriel in the fold. Do you think Oklahoma tries to go for another like JUCO 
quarterback for National Signing Day 2 to have those three quarterbacks to be safe? Are they rolling with Ralph Rucker? Or do you think Micah Bowen's situation? What do you think happens with the with the QB thing? Because having most people would suggest having two quarterbacks, like scholarship quarterbacks, is not normal in the depth chart. Yeah, I think um, you know, maybe a JUCO guy, maybe a late guy they evaluate and kind of like um they could also take a transfer. I don't think the transfer portal is done at the quarterback position, but um uh, Right now, the quarterback room is pretty light, and I think they'd like to uh, at least have one more body there um, outside of like a Ralph Rucker who has showed some promise. Um, but I don't think they've seen much of Ralph Rucker, so I don't know how much they know about like what he can offer this this program. So um, I do think they'll maybe offer like a Juco guy, um, but I also don't think the portal's done at all. I don't think so. I the portal, the portal is the most active it's been in uh, in forever. It's the first time it's been this busy. And somebody brought up a great point the other day. I can't remember who it was on Twitter, or else I give credit to them. They said that the transfer portal is effectively really, really, really slowing down the JUCO ranks, and it's becoming an issue for JUCO guys too. And I kind of you kind of feel for those yeah. guys because they go there to get their grades up, to make it into, you know, into like Mark, Mark, Marquise Brown, you know, yep, these days, that's a perfect example. You know, he's a, he's a gem that just, he, he didn't have the grades going into going into college. Like a, he, a DD Westbrook was also yeah, in there. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. And, and these Juco guys are going to get overlooked a little bit because of the transfer portal. Who's, who's already out there. Uh, you, I'm not the only one. You're not the only one that likes Dylan Gabriel. Reese Davis chimes in, says, I guess that Dylan Gabriel's decision means OU doesn't expect to convince Caleb Williams to stay. If so, I love the move for Gabriel. He will be awesome in Levy's offense prior to Williams entering the portal. Gabriel is my favorite QB transferring. He's a gifted passer. So high praise from Reese Davis over at college game day. Uh, more good news, man. More good news after all the terrible news. Sooners. Are they really acquiring this defensive force? They've now <laughs> taken what, and I feel bad because I feel bad, 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 bad about Clemson because I am talking to them next week. And I was going to ask strictly about Brent Venable's defense in and turnip seed. And now I'm going to have to talk about Todd Bates who I know they also absolutely love. And so Oklahoma, you know, they've got Jay Valai. They've got Todd Bates. All these guys have track records in the NFL and putting guys in the NFL and actually coaching the position that they're supposed to coach. It's, it's unreal. You actually have a cornerbacks coach that co coaches cornerbacks. It's, it's uh it's something new to the to Sooners defense. What do these hires mean, in your opinion, for OU and its defense heading into this year and then springboarding into the SEC? Oh, I don't think the the Bates hire can be overstated. I think that's kind of been lost in the uh, the Caleb Williams thing. And maybe Clemson that was already had decommitments, and now you're having yeah. five-star guys look at OU? Yeah, Bates is very highly regarded around the recruiting circles. Obviously, his his most recent big win would be Brian Brissy. Um the highly touted defensive tackle, defensive end, whatever you want to call him. Um, actually, Sooners the, wanted him. Sooners wanted yeah, him from bad. Maryland. So, um, but I mean, he's also got like guys like Peyton Page, um, who is a pretty highly touted defensive lineman from uh, I think it was North Carolina. 
Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. So he is well entrenched in the recruiting circles that um, kind of Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch tried to get into in this 2022 cycle. As far as getting the East Coast, the DMC area or DMV area. Um, so I think recruiting wise, you look at why they didn't um, they didn't hold Calvin Thibodeau, and this is exactly why. This is a guy that um, could be a, a very big program changer as far as pulling in consistent defensive line talent. And like we're talking legitimate blue chipper guys that make mm-hmm. a difference every snap. Like guys, these are NFL, yeah, NFL defensive linemen. All those Clemson players that are were just monsters in the trenches. And that's what you're, that's what you're getting. You're getting like, you got Miguel, Miguel Chavis coaching defensive ends. Now you've got Todd Bates interior defensive line, but realistically, I'm sure he's going to be a part of the entire defensive line as well. Just he'll be knowing, defensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and yeah. And assistant head coach, he, he got a, a 200, basically a $200,000 pay raise to come to OU. He went from like 500 something thousand to seven, I think it's five fifty. Five hundred fifty thousand to seven fifteen thousand, uh, just big, big. He'll be getting close to a million, um, at Oklahoma before too long. And and then you go with Jay Valai again, guy from Euless, Texas, uh, and he's got DFW under understandings. He's been all over the map. He trains guys. He's gonna be a guy, and he's got the pedigree of Alabama. If he's good enough for Nick Saban. He's good enough for me. If if Todd Bates <laughs> is over there putting guys in the NFL, that's good enough for Oklahoma defense. People have been talking about bringing back Oklahoma defense finally like to like fruition. I think it's actually starting to happen. I think people wanted to believe with Alex Grinch. Now I think people with OU heading their last year to the, to the Big 12, which is growing into like a defensive league, which is weird to think about now that Oklahoma's jumping to the SEC, which has the spread in it everywhere. Um, it, it's hilarious. And so Oklahoma's like been in a league where they're learning how to stop the spread. Whereas the SEC quite hasn't figured that out quite yet, unless you just have monsters in the trenches. And so you've got Jay Belay, you've got Todd Bates. Uh, you've got a ton of other guys that are going to come in as analysts, which you love to see. And then you get hit with more good news over the weekend. All American. Javante Barnes makes it official with Oklahoma and not just makes it official. He already made it official. He signed his letter of intent. <laughs> That's why OU is allowed to uh, recognize him in all the various things they put on Twitter. Gives DeMarco Murray two top 10 backs, two top 100 guys. Give this man a round of applause. Give this man everything. He didn't know he had a job and he was still recruiting his butt off for OU well, Lincoln Riley left them in the lurch, and he comes back with two top 100 running backs. It's impressive. It's, it's impressive. I think um, when you look at what DeMarco Murray has done as far also Kale Gundy in, in that regard, but these are two guys that maybe got lost under the shadow of, of Bob Stoops um, returning to coach that bowl game. I mean, these are two guys that, right after the announcement that Lincoln was, was leaving uh, pretty much for more or less, they gave two weeks of their life recruiting. So um, Kale, I think went through the entire circuit twice. I think DeMarco Murray kind of did his own thing, but 
they put together a very impressive recruiting class for what OU. Oh my gosh. Yes. For the cards that they were dealt. Um, and that, that can't be overstated at all. So as far as what they're getting with Javante Barnes, I think this is a, is a great pickup for uh, Jeff Levy. I don't think um, he was on Jeff Levy's radar, but as far as fit, he's a guy that's, you can use in the passing game. Um, Physical runner. But, yeah, he's a very hard-hitting runner. He's not um, he's not Samaje Pirine, but he's got that uh, that strong lower body, but he's more around six foot rather than, what was it? Pirine was like 5'11", 5'10". I think Schmitty can make Javante Barnes look like Alan Patrick. You think so? I think he can. If he, want, if he really wanted it. In the I'd be a fan of that. I've always been a – we've always been an oh, Alan Patrick I've, fan. Alan Patrick is a violent runner. I love that crap. Uh, in in the in, what's what's wonderful about it is the very nice compliment in Gavin <clears throat> Sawchuk that Demarco yeah. Murray also locked down way back in in Sawchuk after the coaching stuff went down. Says I'm sticking with OU, but he played the Wolf of Wall Street thing. Says I'm not even leaving. You know, which everybody loves to see that. What do you think about Eric Gray? There's been kind of weird feelings about him maybe transferring, but at the same time, it wouldn't really make a ton of sense. He would get, I would assume, the bulk of the carries because Oklahoma, they've got Marcus Major right now, who is a power back for sure. Like that guy put on bad weight and good weight, and he dishes out punishment. Then you or you got on the other side, you got Eric Gray, which you saw what he could do when Kale's calling plays. Of course, when Kale Gundy calls the plays, and of course, you got a, a depleted Oregon defense, especially defensive mm-hmm. line. You saw what Eric Gray could really do in the open field. And so what do you think about Eric Gray transferring? Because if he does, he has to sit that year out. He already transferred to OU. Right. I, I don't think it makes sense for Gray, and that's why he's probably going to stay. Um would I blame him for leaving after after kind of what uh, Lincoln Riley did this year? No, because I think his usage was pretty poor um, yeah. as far as just what, how they used him and what he could have been. And we kind of saw it in the bowl game d- despite playing a depleted Oregon. So um, I wouldn't blame him for leaving, but there's not a better option out there for him at the moment. And I imagine that him and Lebby have had conversations. I imagine that Lebby has had conversations with every right. integral piece of that offense uh, other than Caleb Williams. It's not just Caleb Williams. He's been in contact. I guarantee you Lebby has been in contact with Marvin Mims. I guarantee you he's been in contact with, you know, dudes like Theo Wees uh, and um, uh, who might, and, and Mike Woods. If, isn't Mike Woods even able to return? Uh, he does have a year left. He has a year left and he yeah. might want to return. And he, again, he just transferred OU. It wouldn't make sense to transfer anywhere else because you wouldn't, you wouldn't play. And so he may be there and you got Drake Stoops and hopefully Braden Willis is sticking around because what on, on this next part of the podcast, you guys are going to find out that he's going to fit in very well with the Levy's offense. We talked about it just before we got on the podcast, actually a couple hours before the podcast, Stephen, about how well Braden Willis would fit in that Levy offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a guy that um, when you talk about Jeff Levy's offense at uh, Ole Miss, it's a lot about tempo. Um, and in order to do that, you do not want to substitute out because that gives the defense a chance to kind of halt the game, halt the tempo of the the uh, the series. So this is a guy uh, that did a lot of nice things with Lincoln Riley's offense, but he fits more in the mold of a guy that can 
you can split him out. You can, he's an inline guy. He's big enough to be an inline blocking tight end and also has a little bit of experience uh, in the backfield as well. So, and Oklahoma uh, just picked up that Missouri tight end transfer that he is a <clears> self proclaimed number one tight end blocking tight end yeah, in the how country. Do you, how do you even uh, get that stat line? I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> when I was looking through his film, it kind of checks out. And when I was looking at when I was when I was looking at some scout stuff about him, they said he probably should have been a tackle. He's just too athletic, which is good for OU's run game, of course. And he he hardly catches the ball. So when he's in, he's going to be in those big packages because Levy runs, although he spreads out to the boundaries and the numbers. And yes, UCF fans, they kind of mentioned how they were a little bit salty about this, about how at UCF it was just receivers out to the boundaries. And then he comes to Ole Miss, and the tight end suddenly becomes a big part of that game. And that's then, a hypo so thing. That's what. That's exactly what Steve said. He said that's a hypo thing, but you start to see it at Ole Miss too, and 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 at UCF they never use the tight end. Yeah, and, I mean, it just and, goes back to the end of Hypo's career at OU as well, with like the lack of tight ends. We saw Blake Bell maybe trying to change that and he still didn't get that much usage. So um, it was, it was more of a hypo thing. And so the last recruiting thing I'm going to ask you, and it's going to be probably one of the more obvious ones. Hawaii is obviously having some trouble keeping their players on the team. <laughs> and do you think there's any chance Oklahoma could uh, get a Hawaii guy or two from the transfer portal? Um. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think um, you look at uh, what they have defensively. There's definitely some gaps that that, that they could fill with um, with certain names from Hawaii. So uh, I don't think that's that's out of the realm of possibility at this point. I know that, and I know I know that Darius Luasau, <clears throat> who's a linebacker, is good friends with Gabriel. And Jocelyn Allo is good friends with all of them. All of the Islanders, they kind of stick together, um, especially at that high level of competition that they play at. And I think he's a guy to maybe look for. I mean, in Oklahoma, in yeah. a Brit Venables defense is not starred for linebackers ever. That's that's what you love to see in a Brent Venables defense, in my opinion, especially a talented one and a fast one. Well, you would need to replace like Austin Moe, and I think that would – that would fit pretty quickly. I think it would be as far great. as a guy you can plug, plug and play. And then, you know, one or two recruiting cycles, you're, you're back in it with your own evaluations. That's true. And then the last thing <laughs> that I feel like needs to be addressed is there are a lot of big 12 and smaller schools, admittedly, admittedly laughing at OU because of the fallout that has left because of Lincoln Riley, because there's going to be more transfers because of Caleb Williams likely being transferring from OU. Uh, but <clears throat> they are laughing at OU currently because Oklahoma is experiencing attrition. Like we all thought, I, we all thought they would. Do they not understand where Oklahoma is going to get those players back into scholarship <laughs> players that Oklahoma is going to actually have to go and not tamper because, well, you can't do that. But I mean, when there are positions open at Oklahoma, it's noticeable. It's a blue blood and they sell the program, not just a product. 
and not just somebody that's like, you know, snake oil salesman and tells what that you, what you want to hear that makes you believe in what you want to believe. I don't understand it. Like people like want to talk like, again, Lincoln Riley never graduated a quarterback. He recruited. And now there are several people out there that know, Oh, OU needs a wide receiver. And they're going to be a lot, a lot of wide receivers in the portal. I think Theo Wees actually might stay for Dylan Gabriel. Well, I think he's already withdrawn his <clears throat> his name from the portal. You could always go back in. That's true. That's true. But uh, I think yeah, the biggest the biggest one might be Mimsy, right? That's going to be one to watch because I think we all are pretty confident that that Mario Williams is going to be in the portal probably by tomorrow morning. Yep. Uh, Marvin Mims, I could see, yeah, Jalil, Jalil Farouk as well, um, with a Maybe. Williams connection, yeah. But Mario Williams, definitely Jalil Farouk, maybe Fiuis, I think may stay. Brian Darby, Trayvon West, Drake Stoops, uh, tight ends. I don't, I don't know. I like, but again, when Oklahoma loses players to the portal. Where do you think they're going to get players back from? <laughs> uh, well, if you're if Lincoln Riley was still here, you'd probably be talking to him right now. You're not well, wrong. the tampering going on. He doesn't. He doesn't tamper. Lincoln Riley doesn't tamper. Well, now he does. He didn't uh, last year. Nah, now, now he does. Yeah, now that he's not at OU, he's definitely tampering. I mean, low key, the Roy Manning stuff. It makes you think twice. A few times, yeah, maybe. I also kind of feel bad for Roy Manning because I don't think he actually knew where he was working at the time. That's fair. <laughs> Looking back at it, uh, it was just a lot of fun to poke fun at. Um, but, I mean, even like um, even the other coaches, like they weren't actually sure where they would end up. So why not play both hands? That's true. But, hey. Anything else before we end this part of the podcast and we send our guys to the me and Steven? Um, looking on a good note, I think uh, there's two things. I think NIL right now is a little bit inflated. I think after maybe a year or two where you kind of see these returns um, with the money coming through, it probably dies down a little bit. And then um, even better news, I think, uh, again, with a Thad Turnip seat, it sounds like there is a lot of things moving at the moment. Um, I can't really go into all of them, but it sounds pretty exciting. I think um, we'll probably hear something in the spring, if I had to guess, but it's a very exciting time for the the OU program. Yeah, I, I think it's an exciting time. I think that Oklahoma is finally getting a real defensive staff in place that really knows what they're doing. Uh, that can recruit at a very, very, very high level. It's already been taken notice to uh, by several recruits. I think the offense, I wonder how Venables and Levy are going to balance that thing out because Venables probably doesn't want that offense to be snapping the ball 85 times a game. But at the same time, you know, there's they're, they're going to have to meet some happy medium. So we'll see how it goes. And here's the other half of the podcast. I podcasted with Steve Willis from Ole Miss, Locked On Ole Miss, talking about Jeff Lovey's offense. All right, guys, today I'm joined by Steve Willis of Locked On Ole Miss. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Um, had that nice little fun sugar bowl. 
followed by an excellent, you know, preceded by an excellent Alamo Bowl. Got to see a little Bob Stoops one last time. I was hoping for him and Jeff Tedford or Mike Bellotti or somebody like that and just do a complete throwback thing, but we didn't get that. Oh, man. When Oregon lined up for an onside kick against OU, I was like, please don't do this again. Not not, yeah. not, not one more time. And, of course, OU, OU redeemed themselves and, have, of course, won against an undermanned Oregon team, but OU's missing, like, more than half their – defensive line but we're here to, we're here today to talk some some Jeff Levy man we've been we've been talking about this for a, a few weeks uh I, I reached out as soon as like um uh, we found out it was official and now we're just making it happen and so uh to preface this uh to preface some of these questions that we're going to get into I uh, I talked to uh, US UCF Knights Nation uh, about Lebby as well. I know he spent some time down there with Hypel, um, and they said they really, and so I'm going to preface all my questions with this. Some of the main things they hit on were Lebby never really used the middle of the field. Uh, they said it was rare to see crossing patterns. Uh, they said Lebby uses a lot of bubble screens or deep balls off RPOs, but they did acknowledge Lebby did use tight ends a lot more at Ole Miss than he definitely did at uh, UCF. And so that leads me to my first question for you, uh, which is what do Jeff Levy and his tendencies regarding personnel look like? What are the Sooners getting here? Because you're going from Lincoln Riley to all kinds of different formations, but you're realistically running the same play out of different formations to now you have Jeff Levy, what does it look like in action? We've seen kind of tendencies from Art Bryles, from Josh Heupel. We've seen stuff like that in the Big 12. What does it look like coming back to Oklahoma? Uh, Baylor 2013. RG3 Baylor, that is Jeff Levy's offense. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. Now, the thing you need to remember about UCF is that is kind of Josh Heupel's offense. If you look at Tennessee, that's the same thing that they were doing down at UCF. The Heupel's offense, once he got to Ole Miss, we had a tight end with 700 yards his first year mm. in 10 games. Um, so they worked the middle of the field. The tight end is a favorite in the Lane Kippen offense. And those Baylor guys really, they do a good job with the install, what's going on. But what they learned and what Kendall Bryles learned from Lane Kippen is the ability to stack plays. That's going to be the difference than what you saw in the 2013-2014 Baylor offense is the ability to – kind of get the defense ready to see one thing and already having something keyed up for the other thing. It's the Lane Kiffin shot plays that we call it Ole Miss. It's like 90% of our offense was the Baylor offense. 10% was the Lane Kiffin shot plays designed to basically embarrass the defensive back. And so, and that's my thing in, because Oklahoma over the last several years, I mean, with the, maybe the exception of this past year, I guess these past couple of years, have had some really good runs with some pretty good tight ends. Mark Andrews, um, you've had Grant Calcaterra. He had some concussion issues, went to SMU, had a pretty good season. And Oklahoma just got a recent transfer in from Missouri, who is a block. He, he, this guy calls himself the number one blocking tight end in college football. And so tight ends, not something that you, we should be expecting to see too much on. 
on 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 the field or in what capacity would would they be used in your in your experience? There's going to be 11 personnel on the field um, okay. 90% of the time. There's going to be a tight end on the field. There's going to be basically an H-back tight, tight end, doubling as a fullback as a tight end, depending on what the play is. Now, the, one of the, the linchpin RPOs of this offense is the tight end behind the linebacker, that little quick read play where you read them and you hit the tight end in that space behind the linebacker in front of the safeties. That is one of the linchpin RPOs in this offense. And if you have a tight end that could run that, they will absolutely do that. This year, Ole Miss had Dontario Drummond, who is a six foot two, 225 pound wide receiver. So he did a lot of the stuff that normally a tight end would do, but mm. because he's such a freak athlete, he was putting the, put in those roles. So a lot of those RPOs he was running and not um, Casey Kelly um, or Chase Rogers, who was actually the tight ends in this offense. That sounds like an excellent role for Braden Willis at OU to fill, who is a athletic H-back tight end kind of guy. He's big, he's strong, he blocks, he does all those things that you just said. And so my, my next question is this, is because, and this is what ultimately I think is the reason why Caleb Williams is going to move on from, from Norman and go to another program. The system that Jeff Levy runs offensively, NFL-friendly, Yes, no. What do you think? What 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 are your te- what what is your temperature on that? It's NFL friendly. If you think about it, if you look back to that Baylor system, the only quarterback that had really any run in the NFL was RG three. Um, I think Matt Corral is probably going to make it to the league, and he'll be the next one. But if you look at it, there were some pretty good quarterbacks in that Baylor tree that never really made it in the NFL. Now, the crazy thing is, Caleb Williams has so much Matt Corral in him, it's crazy. You look at him play, it's Matt Corral all over the place, which means he's tailor-made for this offense. It's exactly what they're looking for. So this might be a situation with him cutting off his nose to spite his face. Yeah, I had a lot of people that that reached out to me and said it's this this offense that Levy's running is kind of like a run uh kind of like a run and shoot and that Caleb Williams no, would be no, it, it's not it, it's tempo based. It's sixty to sixty-five percent run, uh-huh. um, but it's completely tempo based. It's a power offense with RPOs off of it. Now, every one of their plays, this is really cool and something y'all would get used to. Every run play has a pass tag. Every pass tag has a run play. Every pass play has a run tag. So there's basically an RPO every play, despite what the call is. So what the defense, if it's run right and it really starts going, the defense cannot be right. And that's the reason we put up these insane numbers against teams. Because if they want to drop back and pay, play rush, we will run literally for 350 yards. And the next week, we'll throw for 420. Right. And, and that's what I was looking at through Levy's, honestly, that's what I was looking at through Levy's stats was the amount of yardage he's putting up. It's it, It's staggering. Like you just mentioned, one week, they're just killing it through the year. The next week, they have 300 yards rushing. Do you at all, and were you ever worried? Of course, you, we saw what happened to Matt Corral um, in the bowl game, which is uh, so unfortunate. It was a freak accident. And we've seen what happened with uh, Milton at UCF and Gabriel at UCF. Do Is there any hesitance toward running the quarterback as much as Levy maybe wants to? Because I know there's been times that 
Heck, I think Matt Corral ran the ball 20-plus times one time. Yeah, against Tennessee, he ran the ball 30 times, and he got himself hurt. And he was hurt the rest of the season, including the bowl game. Um, so that's kind of a residual of what was going on. But it was because of that game. And those weren't necessarily called runs all the time. That was a lot of Matt taking advantage and doing it upon himself, just being the warrior that he is. Um, but it's I don't I don't see that as um, a bug in the system. The quarterback run game is a feature. Um, and there might be some accidents. They don't want to run the ball very much, and they want the quarterback to slide. Um, but Matt just wouldn't do it. It's <laughs> something that I honestly worry about here. Nothing else. Yeah, because I look at I looked at Matt Corral, and I was thinking, man, if Matt Corral can do this with Jeff Lebby, and 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 Gabriel can do this with Jeff Lebby, Caleb Williams, what what with the talent he possesses, he could do a lot of things with Jeff Lebby. Uh, but I, I think they're they're more focused on more guys that are, I guess more. I don't, I don't get it. They're more that are more proven for the NFL, but like, despite the fact that like, there's a lot of schools out there that they don't have openings for guys that are like a surefire NFL, like play guys. I don't get it, but it is what it is. So, but my question, my next question is the types of players that Jeff Levy needs to run this offensive, that this offense effectively you're going to need a mobile quarterback with a probably like what a, a very quick twitch arm and a strong arm uh, with a uh, downfield accuracy, I would imagine. And I would imagine yeah. you would also probably want kind of a bruising, maybe like a, a bruising running back, but also a change of pace kind of guy too. Yeah, I think so. I, I, like we had Jerry and Ely. He was five nine one eighty, but he ran really hard and we have another, receiving threat that plays running back named Henry Parrish, who kind of is in that same mold. And then we have a big bruising guy that comes in in the fourth quarter that kind of goes against the entire defense. That's what we've done for the last two years. And it's been, you know, we've led the SEC in rushing, I think, back-to-back years doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. Like, right now, I'm curious to see what Ole Miss is going to do because there are rumors about Zach Evans potentially going that way. And he is kind of a combination of the big bruising guy and but also has the speed and elusiveness of the little guy. And I'm just kind of curious to see what this offense would look like with him sitting back there because he could be a three down guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've man, dude, I've I've noticed that and. Ole Miss, they they they're they're definitely physical. They're definitely physical at the line of scrimmage and Oklahoma, Oklahoma, they have certainly changed their strength and conditioning coach to get back to where they used to be, where that Joe Moore award offensive line uh, award that they were at. And then they shifted strength and conditioning coaches. And it it was more of like a finesse, very um, CrossFit kind of thing that won't build strength or quick twitch ability uh, to move guys and blow guys off the ball. It was really, really meant for like speed and, my question about speed is I've seen, I've looked at the, I've looked at the 22. I've looked at the all 22 for Jeff Lebby's offense. And man, let me tell you, those wide receivers are stretched out to the boundaries past the numbers sometimes. And those dudes are big. Uh, (laughs) Tell me about those guys. 
Yeah, on, on, on normal outside receivers, our, our outside receivers are 6'2", 6'3", between 215 and 225 pounds on both sides. They block in the run game. They also are um, very great wide receivers. The wide receivers have been one of the strengths of the team for the last couple of years, and that's probably intentional. And, and nothing I'm about to say is an insult towards Oklahoma. Take, understand that, what I'm about to say. But Oklahoma's identity under Lincoln Riley was almost soft. Oh, they're soft as hell. No, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, just absolutely. When you watch them play, it's like that does not look like Oklahoma football. That's not what I grew up on in the 80s with Barry Switzer and those guys. That's what we've been saying for the last five years, Steve. We've been saying that like since 2017 when Lincoln Riley took over the reins and he fired the strength and conditioning coach and hired his own guy that from tech, Oklahoma year by year, you notice them get softer and softer and softer and softer to the point where Oklahoma fans, when they play a team like K-State or they play a team like maybe like a Utah or a team that's going to be physical with you, you gotta you kind of get concerned because you're like, all right, this team's gonna throw the first punch. Is Oklahoma actually gonna buck up and get physical? And so you're not wrong in saying that Oklahoma's definitely gone soft. Well, the thing I noticed is like the game against West Virginia. West Virginia was a team that y'all would n- normally physically dominate and just have your will, and the game would be over in a heartbeat. But because of the way that it was played and what was being done. West Virginia had a little bit more time, a little bit more pep, and all of a sudden you're in a dogfight in a game that you should be winning 31 to 10. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. And so as far as tendencies, as far as play calls, you said 60, 65% run. These dudes like to be physical at the line of scrimmage. My my curiosity is where it this comes into place. Brent Venables does not want to run a million plays. And I know Ole Miss is super up-tempo. They're physical. They're fast. Uh, you know, it's like a train hits hits you. That's what you want defenses to feel the next week. And so I'm curious, do you think that a coach like Brent Venables that's super high on kind of limiting snaps can find a happy medium with Jeff Levy? And, and, and if possible, what does that look like? I mean, it's going to have to work regardless. Like, what do you think that maybe does look like? Well, I know that when we tried to go slow at Ole Miss, it didn't work. We struggled mightily, and our main weapon was the tempo. So we ended up having to go fast all the time. Now, the benefit is, like, you would beat people 55 to 10 occasionally just because you can't just let up. You have to keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, But whenever you tried to go slow, bad, bad things tended to happen. And a lot of that could have been with the offensive line and changing over personnel on the Ole Miss roster, who knows? But I'm just saying it didn't necessarily work going slow. If we were in a game over 85 plays, we usually won that game. Mm-hmm. If we were in a game at 70 plays, we usually lost that game. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, Oklahoma's compiling a defensive staff that's going to rival a lot of people in college football. And I'm really, really, really curious to see how that works with Levy's offense, because that was the first guy. I mean, as soon as Riley's out the door, the one of the first guys you hear about is Brent Venables and the name he's tied to immediately is Jeff Levy from Ole Miss. Like it was like they were a tandem. They were a pair that you don't get one without the other. 
which I thought was really, really interesting because those two names, they always floated around each other and they never drifted apart. And of course, here we are today with Jeff Levy uh, being a Norman. So I want to kind of circle back to what these UCF folks said. Um, I know there's a lot of RPO. I know uh, the the personnel's 11 personnel. They have a tight end in there a lot, uh, usually blocking or, you know, like you said, sailing it over the top of the linebackers heads, which is something uh, it's something of beauty. Uh, bubble screens, tunnel screens, slants and crossing patterns. Yes. No. Or are we running straight? Just are we running post routes? Are we running flag routes? Just like yeah. Baylor 2013. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there will be some of that in there. It's not going to look like the hypo offense at UCF. Okay. Um, he, you're going to see a lot of hitches. Okay. So get ready for the three-yard stop routes. And that's that's kind of what they do in place of the bubble screen, which is still in there. Um, but that's kind of kind of a staple in this offense. I I don't remember too much of a tunnel screen. And I think the running back screen game after his time with Lane Kiffin is going to take some precedence over what's going on because they use that quite frequently and quite effectively. And I'm really curious to your point what Jeff Levy's offense is going to look like at Oklahoma once he, A, he sees the personnel that's left over from Caleb Caleb Kelly, Caleb Williams' exodus, along with the players that are likely to follow him or transfer out because of his decision. I'm really curious to see how Jeff Levy has grown maybe as a play caller from, you know, his days with Bryles. I mean, he was a GA at OU, he uh, then goes to UCF, learns under Hypel, goes to then ends up with Lane Kiffin, who we all know is a wonderful play caller himself. So I'm very curious to see the wrinkles he adds in as well, knowing that 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 staff at OU right now, it's Brent Venables. They're all defensive dudes. And Levy, it's like, it's your show, bro. You got it. Just like, we'll, we'll make it work. It's kind of like Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch where everything was offense and Alex Grinch got to be the head coach of the defense. I imagine it's going to, they're going to be rolling into a situation where there's an understanding of the amount of plays that they want to run. But at the same time, I'm going to, I'm going to imagine that Venables is going to kind of turn the offense over and let Levy kind of be the offensive kind of head coach of the Sooners. I'm really, really curious where he might grow and where, where, what, what he might've, picked up from Heupel and Kiffin and maybe made his own. I, I'm, I'm not sure. And so I was going to ask this question and I saw it in the bowl game, right? I was going to ask, you know, different coaches like to be in varying spots, whether it's up in the booth, whether it's down on the field, it looks like Lebby's a booth guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a booth guy. And also remember there, there's, there's, there's a few things to remember with Jeff Levy. He's at Oklahoma because he gets complete control of that offense. Now, obviously, Venables is going to have the say, but at Ole Miss, it was Lane Kiffin's offense. At UCF, it was Josh Heupel's offense. At Oklahoma, it's going to be Jeff Levy's offense. So it might be a little bit different, um, and we might see a little bit of maturity. The other thing to keep in mind what's going on, if Lane Kiffin leaves Ole Miss, the first call that Ole Miss is making is to Jeff Levy. Mm. Just absolutely, they're gonna they're gonna throw all sorts of money at him because they love him. How well That's how the, well respected was he? Yeah, like was like how was he viewed within the program? I've I've heard rumors and like that it's not a thing that I want to bring up. Like 
that I was I wasn't intending to bring up. There, of course, there's always rumors, right? Oh, he he ran a lot more than that was led on. But what what was the internal view from not just the Ole Miss, I guess, faithful, but the Ole Miss brass? What was the view of Jeff Lebby while he was at Ole Miss as a play caller, as a person, et cetera? Yeah, very positive. He did call plays at Ole Miss, at least 90% of them. Like I said, Lane had his shot plays. Um, But the admin, the heavy boosters, are all big Jeff Lebby guys. He left a huge impression on it. So much so that he coached the bowl game. Mm. I mean, that tells you everything. Most mm-hmm. most assistant coaches, when they take another job, they're they're just done. And he wanted to come back and coach the bowl game, in a large part because he wanted to leave Ole Miss on the best of possible terms. Because they know if Lane leaves, he knows that he's probably the first phone call. That's a. I would say that's a great endorsement for for Jeff Lubby. And so, my last question right here is. What kind of coach do you, is he? Is he is he a player's coach? Is he a demanding coach? How would you how would you characterize Jeff Lebby as a coordinator, as a coach on the field, et cetera? Players coach, absolutely. Players absolutely loving. He's also a fairly emotional guy. Now he didn't have, get much time with the media at Ole Miss because Lane Kiffin did not does not let assistants talk. Mm. He's from the Nick Saban school with, for <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but whenever you see him, we have the season. Um, at Ole Miss, and you see Jeff Levy and some interactions with players and all that, and him and his relationship with Matt Corral was fairly fairly um, top shelf. I think I, I I'm not I'm not surprised by any of that. I mean, like like I said, heading into this, I've heard nothing but really 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 good things about Levy as far as his relationship with the players, relationship with staff relationships, uh, you know, just being built. I just think it, it, it kind of sucks that you didn't, you didn't get to see him, you know, on the podium after games because at Oklahoma, I mean, you get all the coaches all over there. So I think it's very, very interesting. Well, again, probably another reason he went there. Steve, man, like I said, 20, 30 minutes. I really, really appreciate your time talking some Jeff Lebby with me. I'm sure we'll be talking in the future, not this coming year, but the next year. Who knows if it's pods, if it's divisions. I have no idea what's going to happen in the SEC. I'm I'm ready for that first SEC Red River rivalry game. Let's, we need to hurry up and make that happen somehow. Man, we're, we're trying. We're trying to get there 365 at a time. <laughs> and that also gets Alabama out of the West. They're over in the East. We're doing our own thing. That's true. That's true. That that's see, that's another thing. Is like in the SEC, are they going to do the pods? Are they going to mm-hmm. do the divisions? Because if they do the divisions, Auburn and Alabama, they got to go on east, and that and leaves comes back west, and we have a little Big Eight revival, and we have a little bit of fun. Oh yeah, Big Eight Southwest Conference with Arky mm-hmm. and Texas. Oh, it's going to be a, a hell of a lot of fun. But man, I appreciate you for coming on the pod. Steve, tell us where we can find all of your stuff. Yeah, I'm the host of the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. Um, we do a daily show that usually airs sometime in the morning. Right now it's audio only, but it will be on YouTube eventually. Um, catch me there. You can follow me on Twitter at the Stephen Willis. And um, as this gets bigger, um, we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, man. But I appreciate it, man. Yep, and uh, we'll appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next time, all right? All right, bud. All right, see you.